So we've asked, you know, from, based on last week, we talked about making a decision about being baptized. We baptized a younger man earlier this morning. We've got like 25 that have already signed up for June the 23rd, which is our next Honeymoon Island Beach. If you've not been baptized, we're asking you to make a decision to be baptized. And on June the 23rd at Honeymoon Island Beach, we're going to baptize a whole slew of people. Well, today um, is a uh, I have decided theme as well. It's the very next event which takes place just right after Jesus being baptized. And so Jesus goes from being baptized then into the wilderness to be uh, tempted. And so I want us to read this out loud. So if you would stand with me and we're going to read Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 out loud together. Are you ready? Yes. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 4. Here we go. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus answered, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. You did that so well. Thank you. Be seated. Be seated. I, um, I don't know where I got this idea but I, I remember when I was 14 years old and just before I became a Christian and just before I got baptized, I remember thinking, great, this is going to be wonderful. When I get baptized and become a Christian, I won't have any more temptation. <laughs> I don't know where I got that idea. It didn't work out too well for me, trust me. But it was a great idea. I didn't get it from the church. I didn't get it from my pastor. I so you can imagine my disillusionment about two or three weeks after I became a Christian when I realized that I still had all these temptations. Now, I had ammunition to fight those temptations, but I still had temptations. Then as a young pastor... I began to work with people of all different ages. And so in our church in Memphis, so there are 16 years, a lot of different ages. And so I'm a young pastor. But I would see that people, like in their 30s, still had temptations. But they were not the same temptations as those that were maybe 16, 17, and 18. And then I began to observe that people in their 50s still had temptations. But it wasn't the exact same temptations as the people had in their 30s. And then I would work with some of the older people. I thought 70 and 80-year-old people still have temptations, but they're not exactly the same temptations as people would have in their 40s or their 50s. And so my conclusion is this. Temptation is your constant companion. 
you and I will always have temptation. And temptation in and of itself is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. We live in this world. We live in this culture. The issue is not if we're tempted. The issue is what do we do with those temptations? And so at the end of the message, I'm going to ask you to make some decisions about the temptations in your life. And so here's the question. Am I just like a victim of my circumstances? Am I just like, when temptations come my way, am I like helpless? Or can I make some decisions when it's safe, how I'm going to act or react when I am tempted? And that's what we're going to come to today. Uh, Before we do that, I just kind of want to go back over these temptations of Jesus for a second. Then I want to show you a cycle. And there's a cycle of temptation that's true for everybody, Christian, non-Christian, you know, agnostic, Buddhist, whatever, whoever, it's the same cycle for everybody. And I think that'll help us to, again, make some really good decisions. Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, I just want to show you these. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, verse 2, fasting 40 days and nights. I thought this was kind of funny. He was hungry, duh. I mean, spam gets to look good after a few days of fasting with this, right? Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. Now, notice what he does here. The very first thing that the enemy will do in your life is he will cause doubt. He will cause you to doubt who you are. And if he can get you to doubt who you are, it creates fear and it creates anxiety. And so the very first temptation surrounded with trying to not not being able to identify who you are. All right, let's look at the next couple verses. Jesus answered, it's written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Then the devil, here's the next one. Then the devil took him to the high city and him stand on the highest point of the temple. All right? If you are the son of God, he's going to try that again. Throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, isn't it interesting whenever Satan's quoting Scripture? Whenever Satan's quoting Scripture, that's a real yellow flag, red flag, ding, 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 beeping, 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 backing up, pay attention. When Satan quotes Scripture, he always will distort Scripture. Every time in the Bible when Satan mentions Scripture, it's not exactly word for word. It's cut and paste. And he takes scripture and he distorts it. And so what the enemy will try to do in your life and in my life will give us partial truth or partial information. So we've got number one, he's trying to, you know, doubt who you are. Number two, to distort the word of God. Let me keep reading. Keep going. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse eight. Let's keep going. The devil took him now to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the splendor. Verse nine. All this I will give you. If you'll just bow down and worship me. The third temptation is a shortcut. Jesus, you're king, and you will have a kingdom. But I'm going to tell you what, you can have my kingdom, and that way you won't have to go through the cross. You won't have to suffer. You won't have to die. That's not as good a kingdom, but you can have my kingdom, and it's a shortcut. And Satan always tries us to take shortcuts in our lives. Here's what he says in verse 10. Jesus also said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Don't you like that? Wouldn't you like to have been there? When Satan's trying to quote scripture to Jesus, and Jesus says, time out, time out. Let me tell you what's really written. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the next verse says, the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. Okay, 
I want to show you some verses out of James chapter 1, verse 13, 14, and 15, which gives us a universal cycle to temptation. I want to read the verses first, then I want to give you a workable tool that you can take home, and this is the same cycle for Christians, for non-Christians. It applies universally to everybody. So James says this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, here's the cycle. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So if you're a note taker, i got six blanks for you to fill in right now on the cycle of temptation if you're interested. So let's go to the next one. Here's the cycle. The first one is desire. Now, Desire in and of itself is not bad, or it could be bad. It's just some of these are God-given desires. It's just who we are and how God has made us. But in this particular cycle from James, he's talking about inappropriate desires. He's talking about desires that are not right, not good, not healthy for you. Now, at this point, and only at this point, are you safe? Well, sort of. It's kind of like a fire in your fireplace at home. How many of you got fireplaces at home? We don't get to use them very often here, do we? But we like, we like fires. I love a fire in our fireplace. And the fire in the fireplace is wonderful. But what happens if that log falls out of the fireplace and it rolls onto the, to the carpet or to a rug and it catches fire? No longer is that fire nice and warm and fun anymore, Right? That fire now is now, it's uncontained. And so we go from the fireplace now to the rug, and the rug's now caught on fire, and it goes to the sofa, and it goes to the chair, and it blows up my flat screen, which really makes me angry. And then all of a sudden, it goes into the kitchen, and before long, the whole house is burned down. Only at this stage can desire be contained. Only at this stage, and this is where we're going to make decisions at the end today. Right here is where we're going to talk about in just a couple minutes for the rest of the message, but it's at this stage and this stage only when you can contain the fire. But here's the cycle. Let's just keep going. It's dragged away, all right? There's an execution of a plan. There it leads to sin. It will be progressive and it will harm you. And I know you can't write that fast. However, let me leave it up here for just a second. You see, what begins to happen is whether it's in business or whether it's with an inappropriate relationship, whether it's greed or money related, or it doesn't really matter what the temptation is. You see, there's a desire within you. Well, where does that come from? Does that come from Satan? Well, sometimes. Does that come from culture? Well, sometimes. Sometimes it comes from inside of you. Sometimes inside of you, you and I are broken. We live in this fallen world. We can't blame, Flip Wilson said what? The devil made me do it. You are old. If you remember that, that, you are old. We can't blame everything on Flip Wilson. Can't, I'm the devil. Sometimes it's just within, within us even. And so at this point, there's a desire and we get dragged away. Then we begin to make plans. We begin to execute our plan. I know I shouldn't be here. I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't say this, but, I, but I'm going to. And you know what it does? It leads to sin. And then once that fire is out of the fireplace, it just roars and roars, and then it's going to definitely, it's going to harm you, harm you deeply and harm you. So here's what I'd like to do today. I want to get right into the application. 
I want to get right to the application and talk about some solutions to this, okay? And the very first solution that I have for us is this. We pre-decide. I'm going to ask you today to pre-decide how you will handle temptation. So here's our goal. Here's where we're headed. I will decide to pre-decide. Say that with me. I will decide to pre-decide. Say it one more time. I will decide to pre-decide. I guarantee you David had not pre-decided what he was going to do when it came to sexual temptation. I guarantee you when he sees Bathsheba on the rooftop without any clothes on, he had not pre-decided how he was going to handle that decision. I guarantee you, the smartest man in the world, King Solomon, had not pre-decided how he was going to handle the alliances. These other kings were giving him their, their daughters in marriage, and they worshipped you know, all these different foreign gods. He had not pre-decided how he would handle those other women in his life, and they led him to idol worship. The smartest man in the world began to worship other gods. He had not pre-decided but when it comes to Daniel, Daniel, the Bible says, made up his mind not to defile himself with the king's food. Before he ever got in that situation, Daniel made up his mind, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do. It's the same thing. Uh, with Job. Job says, I made up my mind. And he has a whole list of different things that Job makes up his mind about. And so my, my goal today, there are some sermons where I want to increase your biblical knowledge and I want you to know more. Absolutely. I, that's not today. I don't care if you learn a thing about the Bible today. Well, I do, okay? But my point is, my point is, I want you to make some decisions, and the goal today is I will decide, I will, I will decide to pre-decide before I'm ever involved. You see what happens when you pre-decide? It's safe. It's over here. It's not in the danger zone. Pre-deciding is when, you know, I can calmly, rationally, I'm not dragged away. I may have a desire, but I know how I'm going to be able to do that, Okay. All right, this next sentence is just like the first one, but I really liked how I wrote this, so I, I, I'm going to use it. It's the exact same thing as the first one, but it says it in a little different way. I've decided to, again, pre-decide how I will act in light of my situation or my circumstances. You see, I think that fits in every area of your life. You're 17 years old, and you're dating which I think my girls can date when they're at least 29 or 30, but you're, you know, maybe 17 in your family. But, but you're 17 years old and you're going out on a date. Or you're 27, or you're 37, or you're 47. And you begin to think about, okay, this is what I want. I've pre-decided what I want in a husband. I've pre-decided what I want in a wife. And before you ever even go on that first date, you've decided in your mind, and you get to the first date, and you know, he hadn't got it, or she hadn't got it, run. Get, get away. But, but you've made up your mind. You've made up your mind even as far as how physical this relation, before you ever go out, you've already pre-decided in your mind how you're going to handle that. I think it's the same thing with school. We had our graduates on stage um, this morning. Um, 
to make a decision? Am I going to study? Am I going to get an education? You know, the time to decide whether or not you're going to study is not when everybody's going to go out for pizza and a ball game or a movie. The time to decide is before you ever leave the house and go to a college or university, how you're going to act. Uh, Imagine how your life would be different today if you would have pre-decided some of the biggest mess-ups in your life would have been prevented. And you know what we do? We pre-decide all the time. Or we're always pre-deciding. We pre-decide if we want to lose 10 pounds or we need to gain 10 pounds. We pre-decide if we want to exercise or not exercise. I never go out jogging and say, you know what? I'm going to run today as long as I feel like it. I'll get about a half a block and say, you know what? I don't feel like it anymore. I'm done. Praise God for that. No, you got to decide. Denise and I go ride bikes. We rode 10 miles. We pre-decided how far we were going to go before we ever left the driveway. You pre-decide how much money you're going to save in your 401k. You pre-decide how much money you're going to give to the church. You make all those decisions ahead of time. What if? What if? We pre-decide how we're going to handle the temptations in our life. Could be alcohol. Could be our mouth could be our marriage, could be in business, should be, should be all of those things. Our marriage, our spiritual life, I have decided to pre-decide. No one in 32 years of ministry has ever said to me, yeah, I really regret pre-deciding. I sure do. But I've had two or three hundred people tell me, oh man, I wish I wouldn't, I wish I would have, I wish I would have, I wish I would have, I wish I, hundreds and hundreds of people have said that. So I thought about my own life, and I thought I'd share a couple of personal stories about my own life, some good, some not so good. When it came to the whole school thing, the whole education thing, my whole family's from Indiana, they all went to Purdue, I just felt like that wasn't what God had in mind for me. And I go off to Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I can remember they're all, they're all Boilermakers, and I'm going to this Bible college nobody's even ever heard of before. And, and I, I can remember my parents are going to pay for it. My home church gave me a great scholarship. I, I was overwhelmed with gratitude and with passion to, to do this right. And I knew God was calling me to teach his scriptures. I knew, I knew that I was 18 years old. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to be a preacher. And I knew I didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. That's a problem when you're a preacher. You need to know the Bible. And so, man, you can ask Danita. I was anal, man. On Friday nights, I'd be in the library writing papers and studying. I I just, I just, I pre-decided. And so when it came time for the final exams the, the next day, I went to bed at 11 o'clock. I went to bed. All my buddies all around there, they were in the dorm staying up all-nighters. They are trying to study all night. I, I, I'd learned the material. I didn't do quite as good with my mouth over the years. Um, I think one of Danita's favorite verses is keep a watch over his mouth and a guard over his lips. And that's actually in the book of Proverbs. And so... Just a couple of years ago, um, Ethan was playing um, high school basketball for Calvary High School. We actually homeschool, but 
he was playing basketball for Calvary. And we were at an away game. We were not at Calvary High School. We were in an away game. And it was a really tense game. And Calvary won in overtime, like in the last three seconds. And the, the, the father behind me, his son played on the Calvary team. And, you know, I'm a pretty exuberant fan, but he's like over the top. And he was just excited and screaming and yelling. And, and when the game was over, Two other dads on the other team were about seven or eight feet away, and they both stood up, and they told this other dad that he needed to be more respectful, quiet, sit in a different section, and not make so much noise. Well, he stands up to them, and I bought my ticket here, and I got just as much right to be here as you do, blah, blah, blah. So I decide I can't leave him hanging. (laughs) So I stand up with him. And Danita's, you know, she's pulling on my shirt sleeve, you know, and kind of, kind of softly at first. And, 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 and they, I'm not saying a word. And it's escalating between the three of these guys. And then the other two dads, one of them looked at me and he said, what are you looking at? I shouldn't have said it. I said a fool. It was on, baby, right there. Right there in the bleachers. 60 seconds later, this teacher from that high school who goes to our church comes bouncing up the bleachers, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Kurt. I want everybody to know, she said, this is my pastor. He's one of the kindest men you'll ever meet in your life. Oh my gosh, was I embarrassed. Today's going, I told you so, I told you so, sit down, I told you so. When you're in the middle of something that you haven't thought through, and it's one of your triggers, you're probably going to say or do something that you regret, okay? You probably are. What about guardrails in other areas of your life? I've got guardrails with alcohol, and I don't even want to tell you my guardrails with alcohol, because I don't want my guardrails to be your guardrails. But, but I, I've got, I, I don't ever, if I, if I ever have, never drive, never, ever, ever drive. I, I've got guardrails in place that I've already pre-decided how I'm going to handle that. I don't counsel any women. I don't counsel any women. I meet with a lady one time in our church lobby that's full of people, and then I refer, if I even meet one, one time. I don't ever meet a lady, just her, for lunch. I don't ever drive in the car with, with ju- just another lady except my wife and my, my two daughters. I, I don't, I, nothing good has ever come out of that in 32 years of ministry. And so you begin to pre-decide when it's safe. And when, when it's safe over here, you make those decisions. And so I'm asking you today, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to come up with three, three of your biggest triggers. We're not there yet. But I'm going to ask you to come up with your three greatest temptations, and I'm going to make some suggestions on how we, we deal with that. My, my, my next suggestion is you tell someone. I think it's really important to tell someone. Now, I wouldn't put it on Facebook. Okay? A few, a few years ago, President Jimmy Carter told the whole nation he struggled with lust. It's kind of like putting it on Facebook. I, I commend him for being honest. Every, every normal man, that's his battle. But if you're the president of the United States, I probably wouldn't put it out in the news that you struggle with lust. 
in the commercials and the, I mean, the cartoons, they, they just crucified him. But you find one or two people that you trust. And you say, you know what, I, I, I struggle with envy. I, I struggle with jealousy. I'm wrestling with unforgiveness. I don't know why I drink so much. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm hoarding all this money. I, I don't know why. And so you begin to think about your triggers and the parts of your life, and you tell somebody, and somebody gets involved in your life and say, all right, I can trust, you can trust me. Bro, sister, I'm there. I'm there with you. And you walk through this, and you work through some of this um, t- together. I have a friend of mine who's in his um, early 70s, and he was in first service, and uh, he's one of my prayer partners, and um, I, I, just, I just respect the man. He still travels, he still leads and teaches, and business consultant, and he's still blowing and going all over the United States, and uh, I called him up, and he was in the Atlanta airport getting ready to go somewhere else to go lead and teach leadership, and uh, I said, you know what, I said, I'm, I'm going to preach on temptation on Sunday. And of, of all the people I know, you, you seem to have done really well with this. You've been on the road for 40 years. You've been married for 55 years. You, you, you don't seem like you've, you know, had an affair. You don't seem like you've been drinking or, you know, women and wine can, get, you know, get men on the road. And, and I said, so tell me what, what, what's been your secret? How, how have you been able to be so... Faithful to your wife and faithful to Christ and faithful to yourself. How, how have you been able to do this? And he told me, he said, well, he said, I figured if it worked for Jesus and Jesus memorized scripture and Jesus quoted scripture, he said, I felt, I felt like that'd be, that would be good enough for me. And so my friend then just really has put all these different scripture verses, not just up here, but he's got them like right here in his heart. And he's got 40 of these scripture verses. And when I'm on the phone with him, he wants to share all 40 of them. I ain't got time to hear all 40 of them. Just give me two or three of your top, you know, ones. And, and he'll just, rat, these scriptures are just rattling them off inside of his heart and inside of his head. And so I, I just want to make a couple suggestions right now. These may not be your categories. But I want to show you what I think will be a great step in the right direction. Let, let's say that control is your deal. You struggle with control. And so control is really a hard thing for you. You want to control your kids. You want to control the work. You want to control everybody. Anybody control freaks in in this room? See, I want to control that. Anybody control freaks? Yeah. So so maybe maybe a verse for you is like this. Maybe it's Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Maybe this verse needs to be inside of you. And lean down on your own understanding, all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Maybe it's not control. Maybe you struggle with money. Maybe money is one of your greatest struggles. Maybe it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with, with many griefs. Money's not wrong. It's not wrong to have money. It's the what? It's the, it's the love, of, love of money. Maybe for marriage, I think, I think this is a great verse to keep in front of us for marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 and verse 33. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Every married guy or every guy going to be married in the room needs to understand and know Ephesians 5, 25. 
That's a no-brainer. Say this with me, guys. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And every woman in this room who wants to be married or is married or thinks about marriage, and the wife must respect her husband. Just, just some verses that help you in the marriage relationship. Maybe one of your trigger points is hoarding. Maybe, maybe you just want to gather and you're insecure and you want more stuff. And I remember my grandparents. I remember my grandma and grandpa. They just, they just kept hoarding stuff that they could never use. I opened up their drawer and, they, and I counted them. I was a kid. I counted. They had 213 of those bread twist ties. 213. I said, Grandma, tell me why. Well, she said, you never know. You might need one. I said, well, you got plenty. You got, you got more than one. You got a lot. Maybe it's hoarding for you. And, and Jesus says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. And maybe this is a verse for you. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 needs to be a part of your life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you struggle with pride. Most of us do. Maybe it's 1 Peter. Needs to be, let's go to the next one. Pride. 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That he may lift you up in due time. Maybe none of those are your struggle. But what I'm going to ask you to do right now, I'm going to ask you to pick your top three. I'm going to ask you to pick your top three and write them down. Maybe write real small so nobody can see around you what, what your top three are. But write them down. And then I want you to begin to think about Scripture. What, what's a scripture, scriptural answer to greed? What's a scriptural answer to unforgiveness? What's a scriptural answer to, to too much alcohol? What's a scriptural reference to? So what I want you to do first is I want you to pick your top three. I'm going to give you a minute or a minute and a half just to sit there quietly and to pre-decide to make a decision. So what we do with this now is we put some scripture to these. So I'm going to ask you to keep all three of these front and center in your mind this week. And then I'm going to ask you, if you would, to put, put a scripture verse with these. Put, put a scripture with number one. A scripture verse that if I called you at three o'clock in the morning, you would not be stuttering and stumbling. You'd just rattle that verse right off. It's a verse that is... It becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of who you are. I believe in this verse. I, I've wrapped my mind around this verse. This verse is a part of my culture and, and my, my context. So I'm going to ask you to pick three. I'm going to ask you to put scripture verses, and maybe it's more than one scripture verse. That, that's okay. Maybe it's a huge trigger uh, point in your life, and, and you, need, you need a whole bunch. I'm just going to encourage you to... To, to do that this week. See, I have decided we're going to make some decisions. We're not just going to talk about it. We're just not going to have a kumbaya moment and have feel good. We're going to make some decisions. We're going to make some decisions that will forever change our life. So I have pre-decided to make some decisions when it's safe and when it's calm and when I'm not in, in the heat of that battle.